This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Lighting Archive. Modern theatrical lighting is a unique art form whose history until now has been exceedingly difficult to study due to limited access to original lighting documents. The Lighting Archive website is developing a collection of actual plots, focus charts, and cue sheets from real shows. They will place an emphasis on historical productions and designers who have made important contributions to the field. To learn more, go to thelightingarchive.org. This episode is also brought to you by the Archiving Technical Theater History Facebook page and online mentorship program. The mentorship program is an online avenue to connect, share, collaborate, and provide helpful assistance to students and teachers alike by putting them together through social media. If you wish to be a mentor or are looking for someone to be a mentor too, be sure to click on the mentorship link located on the menu page. Lots of great people with experience in many different fields awaits you. Check us out on Facebook. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. My guest this week is Mr. Michael Cruz. Michael Cruz is host and founder of the Title Block podcast. The Title Block is a podcast about Canadian theater designers and their craft. Hosted by Michael Cruz, a former lighting designer, each episode he focuses on one designer and their body of work and talks about their training, philosophy, and history. Michael Cruz is also the chairman on the board of directors of Bad Science Watch. Their core purpose is to create a safer, healthier, and more prosperous Canada through the establishment of the widespread use of critical thinking and sound science when making important societal decisions. Michael is currently pursuing his MD at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, after obtaining a Bachelor of Science from the University of Toronto in 2017, majoring in physiology and the history and philosophy of science. He has also worked as an advanced care paramedic in the greater Toronto area for 11 years. Michael has been active in the science advocacy community for 10 years and, and is committed to a compassionate defense of science for the betterment of all Canadians. Be sure to check out the webpage of the title block, as well as on Facebook and on Twitter. Enjoy the show. And we are live. Uh, I'd like to welcome to this latest episode of the podcast, um, new friend, uh, fellow podcaster, uh, uh, fellow theater person, and now entrepreneur of many things science, which I've just learned because I listened to uh, a recent podcast that you did in May, I want to say, called The Financial... Uh... Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was a little kind of... Um, a friend of mine has a financial podcast. Yeah, The oh, Personal the... Finance Show. Yeah, The Personal Finance Show. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a conversation about yeah personal finance and being an independent artist and med student and all those things. And and what was really great about that in my trying to to learn about about you before before talking was you gave this really great narrative of your past and how you got how you got started in the arts and then how you over time learned that it wasn't really the thing that you wanted to do anymore and started to gravitate away from that. And I found that deeply fascinating um, because I find myself uh, in, in that kind of situation now, but I haven't even told the audience who you are. This is Michael Cruz, who is, uh, uh, again, uh, you are the, uh, the host and creator of the title block podcast. That's correct. Excellent. And, um, 
you have been doing that since 2014, yes? Yes. I, it's, it's hard to believe it's been five years. But yes, 2014 is when we started the, uh, the show. That's correct. So I'm, I'm curious to know, because I, I know how, what was the impetus for me to get started, but I was curious to know how, what, what made you decide to get started, even though you were gravitating away from the, the arts. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. I, so back um, in the, I want to say, uh, early 2000s, probably 2006 or seven, I had switched careers. Uh, from being a full-time lighting designer uh, and went back and retrained and became a paramedic. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, I was looking for new challenges and, uh, you know, at some point got a bit frustrated with the the life of a freelancer and, uh, and how to, you know, knit the two ends of my pocketbook together. And so I switched careers to become paramedic. And about two years after that, I had continued to do theater. I, I did a little transitional period where I was working as a tech in Toronto as I got hired as a paramedic. And uh, I was heralded in Toronto. And for those of you who are not from Toronto uh, or from Canada, we have these independent theater awards that were that were born out of the early two, uh, the early 1990s called the Heralds. Uh, 1994, I think, was the first year they were awarded. And they were uh, an alternative to our mainstream theater awards up here called the Doras, um, uh, named after uh, Canadian theater patron Dora Mavermore. And... Uh, the the heralds were meant to celebrate the independent kind of alternative theater in Toronto that was kind of challenging the mainstream commercial theater, and uh, it was given for sort of a lifetime. It was more of a lifetime achievement kind of thing where people would laud or herald friends of theirs that had worked for a long time in alternative theater. And in 2007, I was heralded by my a good friend Doug Morum, who was a technical director. Uh, and production manager in Toronto, um, and I had left the business. It was kind of funny. Like I, I, you know, got this award after I left theater, uh, and it started to make me think about what the heralds represent. And really, when you went back, unlike like mainstream theater awards that award you for a show or a product or a performance, um, these were really rewarding people for their work and their own narrative. And if you went back and looked at everyone who had been heralded, there was a chain. Right from the beginning, uh, I was from the house of Paul Bettis. Uh, Paul Bettis, oh, I'm now going to forget. I, he was a director um, and he uh, and an actor. Uh, and if you look at all the people in what we call the house of Bettis, there are links between each people in the chain who received this award. And that chain told a story about alternative theater uh, production in uh, Toronto. And I thought, wouldn't it be great um, to capture a bit of theater history in uh, in a in a probably a book where we would interview people who were heralded and tie all make all the connections together and in the end you would knit this big tapestry of alternative theater in Toronto and talk about the start of the Fringe Festival in Toronto and uh, Summer Works which is another kind of uh, adjudicated uh, festival that happens after the Fringe and uh, and several other companies that were instrumental in producing theater in Toronto. Now, this is a big job. There were probably, I don't know, 80 or 90 people. I had never written a book. I don't know what the heck I'm doing as far as, you know, telling those kind of stories and I was working as a paramedic. So that idea kind of fizzled out when the over when the um when the monumental part of the job you know, reared its ugly head, this idea of I have to collect all these interviews and then I have to put this together and then how does this work? But I was really connected to this idea of 
theatre history and about capturing theatre history, Canadian theatre history specifically, that had not been written down. And there, there are people, uh, academics in Canada, who are studying theatre history and writing books about it. There's, a, there's a Natalie Rewa out of, uh, out of Queens who's collecting uh, the history about design in Canada. But there's lots of designers, there's uh, a lot of stories, and not uh, everyone was being captured in that history. I mean, you, you just couldn't, right? The, that kind of focus requires narrowing your, your focus down to a few people who are considered instrumental. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to talk to everybody about their own stories and um, collect all this oral history about Canadian theatre um, and tell people about it so they didn't forget about it. Um, because there's a lot of stuff that occurred in the 60s and 70s and 80s that is starting to be lost as people, frankly, as people die. Um, right. and you know, like, like we lost a, some significant people in the, in the early two thousands that died young and brought and took with them their stories of their life in the theater. So I thought we need to collect this history. And, uh, in 2014, I started with, uh, Michelle Ramsey, who's a lighting designer, uh, based in Toronto. And we had a conversation and I thought this is going to be like, after that conversation, I thought this is going to work, right? We have a nice conversation for two hours, talk about their philosophy, talk about theater history, talk about the shows they've done, capture that history, and then tell people about it. And then since then, it's just uh, kind of taken off. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I, I completely uh, understand that experience because one, one of the things for me was um, I had gotten involved. There, there were kind of two incident, incidences. One is I got involved with USITT uh, and... They uh, were doing at one time what they called the living history or living heritage uh, right. series where they were trying to record things. Now, I now I had not come up with this whole podcast idea. This is much later. But um, it was through that that uh, now this was in 96 or 97. I saw one of the last in-person interviews with Theron Musser. Mm, and it was right. wild because in my in my going through theater school, um, I I was told I was a line designer. I was told I was trained as a line designer, but I never felt like it. Right. You know, so I was in this constant pursuit of trying to understand what what is this that I think that I'm supposed to be doing, but it's not really what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. Sorry, I interrupted, I interrupted your story. You were telling a great story about Thera Musser and your, your feeling of a lighting designer. Okay. Uh, as, I, as I was getting into, so I was talking about Theron Musser. And years later, I ended up working on a project at Penn State, which was... The uh, looking into the George Eisenhower collection that had been mm -hmm. left to the school, and myself and a, and a, and a group of folks that that uh, that came together. One of them, I, I believe you know, is Peter Roberts. Mm -hmm. um, he he came down and he uh, participated in it, and it was we went into it with this idea of like, oh, we're this will be fun. We'll look into it. It'll be, you know, we're we're, we're spending uh, a week there. It'll be great. And it turned out to be a much larger daunting task than <laughs> we we ever imagined. It, it was like just the pieces of paper alone was, you know, 10, 20,000 pieces. It was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And it was through that process that someone uh, had talked about, well, how do we encapsulate? How do we catch the story and things like that? Which led to the creation of the Archiving Technical Theater History Facebook group. Right. Um, when I got... Now, I've been here in Trinidad for, for seven years now. And at some point, I, I'm a podcast listener. And I was listening to uh, uh, one in particular. I was listening to Joe Rogan. And he's just laid out. He's like, you can really do this. You need this and this and this. And I was like, well, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I started 
I said, I set a goal for myself. I said, I'm going to do this for one year. I'm going to do one a week mm-hmm. and I'm going to talk to uh, anybody who I find is interesting or has a, has a, has a story or something. I'm not going to say, oh, I want it to be tech specific or this specific. And it has been, and I've learned a lot uh, about the community and I've gotten to talk to people around the world who I never thought I would get to get to talk about. Um, which I think has been one of the, the great experiences of this audio way of capturing history. Um, one of one of the things that uh, I've, I've noticed you do is in your every so often you have what is essentially kind of like a live roundtable of 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 practitioners. So you had one recently, which was of stage managers. Mm-hmm. How did those? How did how did that come together? And was that just a natural growth, or did you of the podcast, or did you say? an opportunity presented itself and you're like, let, let, let me get these folks together and let's do this. Yeah. That's interesting. So we, in in Toronto, we have a, 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 um, a group called the bellows, which was uh, a collection of, uh, technical theater and stage management folks, production management folks who wanted to have uh, monthly discussions about production, um, for people in the community in Toronto. And I, I was around for the first one, um, uh, just as a like a total fluke. Um, I had heard about it on Facebook. Friends of mine were going to this this little discussion about uh, production managers, I believe, um, and why you need one. And I thought, oh my god, this is a great opportunity to like people should know about this. And I have all this. Uh, I have this equipment to record. I can just show up and do it. It's really easy to put together, um, and uh, it'll have an audience beyond the twenty or thirty people that are at you know the upstairs and theater past Mariah, a uh, regional theater in in Toronto, and. Um, so I joined the group then, and then since then, whenever they have uh, a, a meeting, we were recording it and then putting it on the show. Now, it's been very busy over the past six or eight months, uh, and we haven't uh, actually recorded anything, or it, the, the recordings are not, are not sort of getting to me on time, or uh, like everyone's busy, basically. Um, but right. one of the things for the, one of the things that I, that I, one of the things I committed to when I, when I put the title block together was that this was a community service project. That, um, yes, it was meeting my own goals about staying connected to the community um, and staying in theater that I was still very interested in, even though I wasn't, you know, actively working as a designer. Um, uh, but but beyond that, it had a utility to um, tell stories that people may uh, didn't hear about outside of their own small community uh, or, uh, you know, they're on the you know, the East Coast, and they don't know people on the West Coast. The mountains in Canada are a big kind of barrier. I've discovered that since going to Vancouver last year, recording a bunch of interviews. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, cross-pollination that happens these days because of the cost of getting across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and people need to, to hear what other people are doing. And so things like the Bellows, where we recorded these roundtable discussions about stage management and, and practical things like how do you do your taxes and, and stuff that maybe might not be captured in a theater or school program. Um, uh, or as a young professional, you may not get exposure to. You may have to just figure it out on your own. Why not you know, use the experience of your peers that have gone before you and, and, and not have to struggle? Um, and that kind of community focus uh, was really important to me. We also did an earlier... Um, uh, there were a couple things. I was at CITT, which is the USITT up here in Canada, and we we went uh, we did a roundtable discussion about projection, 
uh, at CITT a few years ago, and I had an interesting conversation uh, where during the Fringe Festival here in Toronto uh, a couple years ago, where people uh, wanted to have a discussion about audiences and about how to generate audiences, and and there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of flux in how people um, experience theater right now. Uh, in Canada, uh, you know, there's lots of competing media, Netflix, uh, movies, you know, YouTube, and, and uh, those audiences, um, the audience has been aging. Um, and while, you know, the majority of the audience, you know, 20, 15 years ago was probably 30s, early 40s. Now all those people, like we've kept that audience, they're just getting older and we haven't replaced it, right? So a lot of the audience, right. audiences now are in their 50s and 60s. And the question was, how the heck do we like at some point people are going to start not go stop going to the theater because they're dead and we need to like replenish audiences and get youth involved. And so we had a nice community discussion about that. And I thought, even though that's not necessarily a design issue, it's a larger theater issue. And as a, because I've already had this, this, this platform set up and I know how to record something, I was able to share that with the rest of the listenership. So, um, the, the title block beyond a podcast about design is about building community and connecting people across the country. And that was really important to me. So that's why things like the bellows and those other roundtable discussions came about. I think it's, uh, it's interesting in terms of the speed of interaction nowadays between, social media and uh, streaming services and, and things like that, because our connection to art in Asia, if, if this was 20, 30 years ago, we would have no concept, no clue. There would be no influence or, uh, of that. Um, but now I can go onto my Instagram and I, I can see what's happening in Taipei, Taiwan right now in a dance show. And that, and that's what's stunning to me. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I've, I've said many a time that, uh, uh, you know, I, I never planned past a certain age. Like I said, you know, I, I only saw my life up to 35, for example. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm over 40 now and everything has been just wonderment. And I can't imagine what it's like because I've tried to talk to some of the students that I have the opportunity to speak with. And this is their regular world. And that's and that's I think is really fascinating. In your opportunity to, to speak with 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 people who are either up, well, what one may call young professionals and then have them sitting next to people who are seasoned professionals, do they do they still carry certain similarities of the wonderment of creation or has it become, you know, you're a di not a dinosaur, but, you, you know, what you're saying, what you're saying is as someone who is experienced and knowledgeable is great, but. For, for us, the curiosity is we, we have a much greater thing to pull from. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, I always felt that in theater, um, and maybe this is true outside of Canada. I don't have a lot of experience outside of Canada, so I don't know what it's like. But I imagine it's the same thing. That, um, I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why I left theater, frankly, um, is there's a real cult of youth in theater and about who is going to produce the next really interesting work. And I remember having a really interesting conversation with Kevin Lamott, uh, who is the head of lighting design down at the Shaw Festival, and um, about how you build your bag of tricks as a designer. And when you're young, when you don't, you don't know, you haven't, uh, haven't made enough mistakes, you haven't done enough work to figure out what's, what doesn't work and what does work, so you try everything. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to try things that maybe an older designer would go, no, I've tried that before. It doesn't work. And then find a success in it. 
Uh, and uh, the uh, that experience means that somebody who's 23 is going to, um, you know, if you're working enough, find something really interesting that no one's done before or find a new perspective on something that somebody who is 45 um, may have may not have the same experience with or may not come up with the same idea. That being said, you know, as you get older, you you become more efficient at what you're doing and you do know it works and you do some things really, really well. And so, you know, you know, when, um, and you're able to sort of find new ways of doing things based on your past experience, cause you're not wading through all the stuff that doesn't work to find the thing that does. You're able to sort of winnow stuff down to uh, a good idea, I think quicker and more efficiently. But, um, one thing I've like, I've spoken to young designers and seasoned designers and, their process is largely the same. People who are established designers, not people who are uh, just sort of like trying to figure things out and doing one or two designs, people who have like two or three years of full-time design under their belt, they are really working in many of the same ways. Um, there is a technological switch, like lots of people are doing costume renderings on the computer now, uh, something that, that, uh, that older designers would never do. Some of them are doing it. Like, for example, um, Ken McDonald, uh, who is you know, a fantastic Canadian designer, worked internationally as well. Uh, he does all of his um, designs on his iPad now. He does all of his renderings there. I mean, obviously, that they get drafted afterwards in some other uh, way. But he does all of his original work uh, electronically. Um, with his, you know, his, his, his pen on the, on, on his iPad using now, what's funny is the software he's using is now out of date and no longer, no longer, supported. <laughs> but he, but he's learned to use that and it works very well for him. Um, so I think it can go both ways. I think that, uh, the essential process of design, um, is the same. And I feel like young designers, uh, are, uh, going through the same process of you know research and and sitting in rehearsal and uh, and developing their ideas in many of many of the same ways. So I don't think there's as big a gap as we think. That being said, like the one of the reasons I left theater was because I saw people who um, almost aged out, where they they weren't the next hot property, and they there weren't enough spots. Like the theater community in Canada is. It's a bit is finite, right? There's only so many regional theaters. They produce only so many shows a year. Um, you used to have a problem with co-pros, where one designer would do six of the shows. So that now co-pros have kind of gone gone down because it's we've gotten even further restricted in the kind of funding that we've got up here. Um, but uh, but there's only so many. There's only so much work, and you know there's only so many people who are getting hired to do that work and there's a lot more people who are in their 20s working than are than those spots than exist in those spots in the senior level you know regional theater um commercial theater stuff that's happening in Canada and so at some point you're going to age out and, you know you're not going to make the right connections or the director that you tied your moored your ship to uh, is now no longer working uh or uh you know doesn't have the same uh, activity that they had when they were younger, so your activity goes down. So, uh, like that scared me when I was in my early 30s because I saw people who were having to change careers uh, 
uh, and find different ways work at the local production house um, you know doing commercial work or retail sales uh, or moving into architectural design trying to find some other way to to uh, apply their skills because there just wasn't the theater work there to support it um, and I think I don't know like the answer to that is just building audiences and, and, and funding like I don't, I don't think that we as designers can fix that problem ourselves but um, yeah that's a real that's a real issue yeah, no, I audiences is, is is a crazy thing because it's, you know, it's what it I I I equate it to the, like the success of, of restaurants opening in 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 New York City. It's, you know, yeah, you can have the great, you can be hot, you could you know, you're great for six weeks, and all of a sudden nobody shows up, and then you're struggling for a year to pay your rent, and then you're like, well, wait a minute, we were just we were really hot, and now no one shows up at door. I can't pay things like that. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the, one of the things that I really liked about your story is because one of the, one of the things that I know I went through is, is a lot of, of what I've heard, I heard you go through mm-hmm. is I, I left school and I graduated in 97 and I left school and I said, I need a job. And the first thing I did was I moved to, uh, New Hampshire of all places and got a job as a scenic carpenter living in a basement and working summer stock. Mm. And it was like, I need a job. I need a job. That was my mantra for the, for the longest time. And it wasn't, I need a lighting design job. It was just, I need a job. And I eventually came back to uh, Chicago, the Chicago area, which is where I'm from and slowly started to kind of make my way. And you're right. It was one of those things where it was like, you, you have like a small set of people that kind of have the corner on on some of the some of the storefront theater some of the regional theater or you have a company that is already insulated or insular and they 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 create from within Mm -hmm. so i kept looking so the example i kept looking at was the the guys and gals who were working on the freelance calls and it was um watching the the staff at the regional theaters and at least in the production department like the master electricians and the house covers didn't turn over at all or Mm -hmm. they were there for 15, 20 years and things like that. So I'm like, I want to do that. But at some point in my journey, I ran into, um, I, I, all of a sudden I like, I needed to go do something else. Like I was, I was doing the the same routine, whether it was eight shows a week or, you know, load ins, load outs, things like that. And I said, I'll do something easier. I'm going to go do TV for two years. That was a, <laughs> that was, that was a major learning experience. And I say, if, 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 Anyone out there is listening to this that's a student and you and you think you can you can do television and film, I I be my guest. It is one of the most humbling experiences because mm-hmm. you are you are not a priority. And I did two years of that, and then my phone stopped ringing. And mm-hmm. I went I went through that portion of life where I. I lived in uh, a friend's old uh, apartment for a year. We, she, she let me in and she said I could stay and I slept on the floor for a year. And it, it was one of those times where it was the most paralyzing feeling where the phone wasn't ringing. I'm sitting on the floor. I'm watching the same daytime TV and I, I, can't, I, I need to dig myself out of this hole. And I, and I think it was really at that point I said, you know, maybe... The, I enjoy the arts, but theater maybe doesn't necessarily need me. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go and start to figure out other things. And slowly I've gravitated towards education, mm-hmm. which I 
which I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but I, like I said, I really appreciate your story because it makes me feel like I wasn't, my experience isn't unique. I mm-hmm. know that there are probably a lot of people that go through it, but you know, it's, it's not something that is necessarily, uh, talked about. Now, if I hadn't gone through that experience, I probably wouldn't have a lot of the things that have, that have happened to me today. And I know that you speak of, uh, going into the, the, the medicine and now your, your, uh, advocacy for better science and, and things like that. So what, if, if, if the journey hadn't, uh, the, I guess, I guess my kind of question is with that seminal moment of, of having to make that decision, that leap to move on to something else, what, uh, what is it, what has your theater experience informed you to say, it's okay to be this other thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like identity is such a strong part of being in theater. I mean, it's, it's a strong part of anything you do, but I think that we think about our, our own identities as an artist, an artisan, as a theater worker so much um, because we're asked to sort of, you know, make a choice or figure out who we want to be, you know, when you're in theater school and how you're going to make a living. Um, and, and finding your voice as an artist requires a lot of introspection. And I had an interesting conversation uh, that we just released on the podcast uh, with Susan Benson, who's a senior, uh, just a, just an amazing designer here in Canada, um, originally from England. And she made the case for a theater designer uh, as an artist, as making choices, not just, not just uh, an artisan uh, who's good at crafting, um, you know, an object, excuse me, by rote, um, uh, but, but someone who is actually s- imbuing in their product a message and telling a story with it. And um, the that process of becoming an artist requires you to think about who you are and who you want to be. And when the world lets you down <laughs> and yeah. doesn't let you be that person, that's a huge existential crisis, right? And I... Uh, and in many ways, it's a failing, I think, of theater training. Um to not let you consider other pathways and other ideas. Now, theater has, it's shaped everything I do. I talk a lot, I just did an, uh, had a conversation with a friend who's doing a research on narrative medicine, which is a way of incorporating stories into uh, healing. And talks about how, tries to pick apart this idea of um, stories in medicine. And because everybody's own, you know, journey of healing and wellness and health is a narrative, right? We all write our own narratives all the time, right? And it's something that gets ignored a lot in this kind of, um, you know, corporate, uh, you know, lack, low resource or, or uh, a limited resource healthcare, whether it's you don't have insurance or whether in Canada it's, you know, limited access because we don't have enough uh, access to give everyone what they want right away um, with universal healthcare. Uh, like there's, there's still a struggle uh, that in each person's narrative is important and it gets lost in that process. And theater is about telling stories, is about identifying stories and about picking them apart and finding out their structure so we can make it the best story we can tell. And uh, in paramedicine uh, and in medicine now, um, the idea of paying attention to someone's story is, is in every single thing that I do in uh, my new job. And uh, it, it's, I didn't realize it until I, 
I looked at it from the outside, right? Because it's an everyday thing in theater. That's what you're trying to do, tell these stories. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't understand the utility of it, really, uh, outside of theater until I started doing something different with it. So theater certainly has shaped my entire career. And I think that theater people, especially, I think even more than film, I mean, film, I haven't done much film experience at all, but film is such a fast-paced, um, you know, economic process that everything is about <laughs> how much money are we burning a minute on this shoot that oh yes you don't you, you, you like as a unless you're one of the on the creative team the director or one of the actors or one of the the photographer or whatever like you don't you don't get access to the storytelling part of it very much um is my feeling and in theater uh we have almost Everybody has direct access to that. And I feel like if you're in theater, if you've trained in theater and you've worked in a variety of different uh, environments, small theater, alternative theater, commercial theater, touring, you know, live performance, opera, dance, that if you've worked in a number of different environments, you can really adapt to any other environment. We're deadline focused, like immutable deadline focused, like the audience is here. We have to do a show. No, you can't push that deadline behind. You have to produce something. You better pull stuff together and make it look good. Uh, and that is something that's not like I, I can't think of any other industry beyond maybe, you know, the military or something where that kind of pressure um, is uh, exists. Right. People push deadlines all the time out in the community and in business and and other places. And, uh, and and I think that working around that deadline and producing a product and working out of that tension and making decisions in that environment is a life skill that um, will carry you through any other profession very, very well. Um, I think... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just... It, it's interesting because um, I've read... Every so often we'll see on a Yahoo Alert or a Google Alert or something like that, the top five uh, degrees to have to... to that will produce success. And then the top five degrees you don't want. And it's always like, it's like the one week wine is bad for you. The next week, it's good for you. The next, first week, chocolate's bad for you. Then it's good for you. And I find that um, the arts, for example, the, you know, it, sometimes they, they laud the degree because of, as you say, the versatility of the people that are, that are into it. And then you'll get a, a month later to say, oh no, theater is dead or performance art is dead. How are you going to make a living kind of thing? And, I've been on both sides of, of that, that issue. Cause I've been broke ass. And then there are days where it's like, thank I can pay my rent for a year and I can kind of like go do something else for a little while. I just, I, it, it, there's such a manic quality to, to, to the perception of what it is. The, the arts are that I, I, it, some days it drives me crazy because I'm having to explain it a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's very true. And I feel like, uh, I have been exceedingly privileged in that everything I have done uh, has managed to work out okay. Um, I, like my theater career wasn't, I wasn't in the top tier of designers when I finished. Maybe I had, was was heading towards the A-list. Uh, I like to think I was anyways. Um, yeah. But, you know, just because you think, what did I leave behind? You think the what if. Um, it, it, but, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't working with... Um, I certainly would not put myself in the top tier of creative designers in Canada, people who are original artists. I was not an original artist. I was someone who worked well in teams, who solved problems, who fed off of other people's ideas, enhanced them, and 
and help them tell their story. That is something that I really enjoyed doing. I was not original creator. Um, but I, but, but I had an okay career. Like I, you know, uh, managed to, um, pay the rent most of the time. You know, obviously a freelance life is, is always uncertain and, mm -hmm. uh, living under that uncertainty gives you a certain strength, uh, you know, because you can deal with ambiguity well. Um, but it could, I also have friends who ended up on, you know, welfare and unemployment and didn't have work for several months and had to take second or third jobs to sort of pay for stuff. Um, and, and even, and I got out at a time where it was still possible to, for lots of people to work in the industry and make, you know, pay their rent and, uh, and be okay. Now things have changed in the last 15 years. I have friends who are A-list designers who are struggling in Canada to find the work to, to, to pay the rent and to live in an expensive place like Toronto or Vancouver um, and, uh, and are struggling. And funding's being cut. We have constant threat from provincial and, and federal governments about cutting funding to the arts, uh, and, and they continue to do it. Uh, and then audiences are always you know, an issue. So um, I've been very, very lucky um, to have made, have succeeded in the choices that I've, that I've made. Um, and I think that part of this, uh, you're right. Part of this is convincing other people of the utility of that work. Stage managers, I, like all of my stage management friends, they can organize anything they can mm -hmm. support. Like they can, if you hire a stage manager, like if you work in a business that's non-theater, if you work in a corporate office, if you work in a nonprofit somewhere, if you are solving problems in environmental or, you know, world health or like doing anything that requires any kind of logistics, hire a stage manager. They will save your bacon. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what the product is you're producing, but the schedules, the budgeting, the people, the people skills, the, the organizational skills, all that stuff are the stuff that is very difficult to teach people and um, gaming things out to the end, like stage managers and, and production managers are the people you want in those in those positions. But, but convincing, <laughs> convincing corporate, you know, uh, CEO, uh, Bob, that a stage manager doing this theater thing can help them at all is very, very difficult. And you're right. I it, like, it's difficult. People think that what we do as theater professionals is some sort of weird game that we play every day and it's not serious and it's not a practice and it's not, valuable outside of that context and it's exceedingly valuable but you're right there's a barrier there to convincing people of that my my, my favorite uh is um i when i would come back to the to the states to visit my my folks um invariably invariably either a relative or one of my uh, mother's friends would are, are like so when are you coming home and when are you going to get a real job and aren't you going to join the union if I, I i always got at least two of those three questions yeah and i was just like you know, I'm doing this because this is valuable to me and I get to do these things. And sure, I, the compromise is, is that I don't, I, you know, I haven't had a permanent address in a, in a while. I mean, I lived somewhere for seven years, 10 years here or there, but you know, it, the, the, it's, it's like one of those things. It's like, I'm chasing my, my hero, you know, mm -hmm. I want, I want to be that guy. And, you know, he's 10 years ahead of me. So I've got to work towards getting that. In that meantime, I'm getting to, to talk to this person. I'm getting to do this experience. Now, I have made some world-class terrible decisions. I am, I am not, not free of that. Mm -hmm. um, but, 
you know, it's it is a head scratcher. One the um, the thing that I liked about the the one of the the things that I'm very grateful was when cutting my teeth in the the Chicago theater community because we at the time we thought it you can afford to live here you can you can do there, there's enough around to kind of do some work and you know and at the same time live your life you know you could still go out you could still do things and things like that and you know there was some really brilliant stuff that came out of it now they were living off the 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 history of what became the uh was it the I, I feel like they called it the Chicago style, you know, the Steppenwolfs of the group, mm-hmm. the the defiant theaters, the house theater, you know, these really collaborative collectives, mm-hmm. ensemble theater. That's right, right, right. And you know, it's and sure that model worked for a while. And you know, I I, I haven't I haven't stepped in a in a Chicago theater in, in now at least a decade. And you know, it just but just going back, you know, you, the costs of things are going up and. You know, I, I don't know. It's just it's it's I'm I'm not wistful for the past because I had my time. I got to be I got to be in the sun for a little while and now, you know, it's it's moved on to to, to something else. Um but I guess I guess the my, my 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 question to you would be is the with the way that the world is changing and not necessarily the emphasis on the arts or funding for the arts, but the way that we are culturally changing the the sensitivity issues or the 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 topics that we're willing to talk about or that weren't uh, weren't talked about um has for me how has dramatically changed my understanding of what what theater is so like as i said some of the behaviors that we did back then are mm-hmm. completely unacceptable mm-hmm. and my 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 feeling is with with the experience of the folks that you have now had the opportunity to to speak with have has has behavior changed? You know, I mean, for for Canadian theater. I mean, I don't know a lot about it, mm-hmm. so you know, have the sensibilities changed? Yeah, uh, certainly there is a ongoing struggle uh, to reconcile our past behaviors and behaviors, honestly, that are still going on. Um, we had a major artistic director in Toronto removed from what was considered to be the inheritor of that ensemble theater uh, idea, the idea of building a company and producing great, um, uh, you know, uh, works from the canon, uh, both in American of American theater and British theater and Canadian theater, um, they lost their. They were they were fired because they had a long history of sexual harassment within the organization, uh, and this was a leading. This was a leading voice in Canadian theater. Um, there was another. Just last week, there was someone um, who was charged with. Um, uh, sexual uh, harassment, sexual assault uh, in a theater uh, east of Toronto, and um, and the I, the the past injustices around how we deal with uh, sexuality and uh, sexual themes in the work that we're doing um, and intimacy and how that's worked out in the rehearsal hall. Uh, has changed in the last five years. We have people who are now uh, considered intimacy directors, right? Uh, just like we have a fight director to come in and keep everyone safe in a fight. Now we have people coming in to keep everyone safe uh, when we're doing scenes of intimacy. Um, and I think those are good things. And I think that 
yes, the industry is changing and we can have now frank conversations about how we interact with each other as a group. I found it, I always found it incredible. Um, in a community that considers itself to be progressive, uh, largely left-wing, um, you know, f pushing the envelope when it comes to sexual and racial and um, uh, uh, gender justice. Uh, and at the heart of Canadian theater was the, you know, middle-aged to older white male who was the head of all the projects. And you know, these two things were in Congress. Like we, we, the picture that we painted of ourselves was as a, as a, you know, this kind of lefty, a progressive community. And we were in fact recapitulating all of the older misogynist cis white het male kind of ideas, uh, within the structures of theater in Canada. And the part of the growing pains that has occurred and the debate that's happening now is in order for that to change, we have to give up some of our power. Um, and we have to, uh, make, our community more inviting for people of other genders and cultures and um, orientations to have a part uh, and take leadership roles. And that struggle, um, I think, is the biggest struggle we have right now in Canadian theater. It, it may compounded by this, I, this, this, uh, the, all of the problems of building an audience, all of the problems of limited positions decisions and limited opportunities for people um, because now they're perceived as being more limited for people who had power for so many years and they're you know the, those people are fighting against that and don't see the value in making that space because they're losing something because they're staring down the barrel of being 50 and 55 and not having a way to get to retirement and I have empathy for both of those groups. I think that it's an important thing to make things more just. Um, you know, in my, uh, I am, I'm queer, and in, in, in paramedicine and in medicine, I am actively working about making those structures more just. I don't know how successful I'm being, but I'm certainly at the beginning of that process. And uh, because structural, um, you know, sexism and structural um, uh, heteronormative behaviors still exist in those structures very, very strongly. And, uh, you know, that kind of struggle between there's limited positions. We need to make space for other communities that never have had power, um, uh, to, to have power. And yet we have to all get to retirement. That's a big, it's a big mess right now. And, uh, I don't know how to fix it. I, I think that we're in the right, we're going in the right direction. I think that's going to be painful for a lot of people to give up power and they're resisting. And, uh, I, I both understand that position and accept and support the idea that that has to happen at the same time. Um, because theater has not been immune to those pressures and that misogyny and that racism and that structural homophobia and transphobia and, uh, misogyny. And I, and I, uh, it's something we have to face now. Um, otherwise, it's just going to compound the problem in the future. And and like when we look at other stories, I just saw a remarkable piece of theater at the Fringe in the summer that was telling uh, a Filipino uh, a story uh, uh, using uh, traditional uh, 
uh, uh, traditional Filipino themes as a jumping off point and then telling a lovely story about family and intergenerational relationships and, and, you know, the future and, you know, growing up in, in these, uh, in this community. And it was a remarkable piece of theater and it was terrific. And there wouldn't have been space for that um, 15 years ago because uh, the community was kept out of, you know, positions of power. And I think that, that, that is a reinvigoration. We've got communities here who don't have access to theater, who never considered it a, a, a means of expression. Um, you know, a new immigrant community that sees uh, opportunity in everywhere but the arts for them in Canada. And I think that there is not only, it's not only important for us to include those communities and support those communities within theater because there's a whole new audience that we can talk to and experience, but it's also important if we consider ourselves to be progressives to, you know, to be just and to include those communities in our, in our, in our process. Um, so that's my rant. <laughs> so it's no. an important discussion to have, right? Oh, it is. Absolutely. It's uh, now I, I am an expatriate living here in, in Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, one of the uh, the mottos of the country is uh, every every person has a place here in this nation. You know, together we aspire, together we achieve. And mottos are nice and everything. But in the everyday life, it's not as clear cut. Um, you know, two years ago now, I, I believe it was two years ago now. They had their first recognition of a uh, of a pride parade, which you would have never thought of in in, in a in a in a place like this because of the the, the culture that is that is here. Um, you know, it, it's as an outsider to a lot of the goings on because again, I didn't grow up here. The uh, you know listening to things in the news where they're talking about laws that are that are clearly outdated and were at times very oppressive to certain uh, uh, people within 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 the country here or races, things like that. You know, there are very old English laws that are still here that they are trying to to to, to get rid of mm -hmm. um, in terms of the arts. It's it's interesting because it's one of those things where carnival is 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 a, is a massive uh, identity point here. It, it is a way of taking off the shackles and just being free as who you are or playing a different role different than yourself and then going back into your regular life and things like that. And uh, uh, it's um, it's one of those things where if we try and if you see places try to do a play or something like that, it is a retread of something that is very safe. I don't want to say it's like, oh, we're 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 not going to swear, we're not going to do this, but it's safe in the sense that it's not the, the type of challenging material that is that maybe in a country that is like the size of Canada or the size of the U.S. that is hundreds of millions of people and such a different makeup of of, of identities and and thought that there is a place for that, and it's uh it's interesting because it's like you know you you going back to the the pride parade, it's like. It's like this became the vehicle. These people of, of these different proclivities were always here and you accepted it. And, you know, it's just it's just taking you a long time to be like, OK, now it's much more out there and things like that. And I think a lot of that stuff is 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 here. It's just it hasn't found its way to penetrate through the surface and bubble up and, and become much more uh, accessible. I you know, it's. 
it's the you know I, I work with 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 students and you know some of the stories they talk about their lives is just heartbreaking mm-hmm. but the, you know it this is their maybe the arts is their way out or maybe it's just it's it's something because they you know they they didn't feel right doing something that you know maybe maybe uh their 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 family or something like that you know wants to do um it's if if there is any if again i, I and I, I say this to to the wider audience if you want an appreciation of what your country does go live somewhere else and 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 live live that life for a little while and then the the moment you come home and you see the gigantic grocery store and you and you are like moved because you're like oh my god i've never seen so much like stuff you know there's there's choices upon choices upon choices there's 17 different peanut butters oh my god mm-hmm. you know then then i think people will have a better like i said appreciation of 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 what it is what it means to 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 have um I, I don't want this to turn into a, a long philosophical discussion, even though I love it. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that uh, I know that uh, you are, gra- like as as I was saying before, gravitated towards more of the of, of what science is, and you you are still an artist in in, in some manner. Um, I know you do photography as well. Yes. Yeah. I, um, one of my hobbies is uh, is macro photography. I like insects, so that's the way I okay. enjoy my <laughs> my time off in once in some respects. And uh, I, I think that's that's I think that's another thing that I think students or people who are coming up need to need to hear is that it's okay to have interests, things that you want to do outside of of just you know trying to make make art. It's like there's other ways to to really find yourself. You know, um, there was there was a recent article I want to say today. Where the average American—I don't know what the what the Canadian version is—works um, on average now over 50 hours a week, mm-hmm. just just to be because they there is this fear of either their job is going to go away, um, they got to pay for health care, they've got to you know they've got these bills and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's really stressful. I mean, it there is a lot of the the community there facing the same kind of stresses. Um, yes, I would say that, uh, the theater community, especially, um, is like, you have to keep swimming or those you sink. It's like a, you're, you're a shark, right? If you don't keep swimming, you're going to float to the sink to the bottom and then die. And, uh, certainly, um, I think that while we may not have the same kind of economic stress as the U S does only because we have a stronger social security net, um, that 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 there's still there's always going to be uncertainty about work even if you're employed somewhere especially if you're in manufacturing um i have cousins that work in manufacturing back home in in uh, where i was originally from kitchener and i always worry that like there's always this concern the plant's going to be closed and move my dad worked in a tire plant when i was in kitchener and that plant moved like all the like there used to be two major tire plants in kitchener uniroyal and bf goodrich and both of them moved out of the country uh, or out of the city at least uh and so you know there's thousands of jobs that were lost 
And so that still looms over our heads, certainly in uh, in my working class town that I came from. Um, so and in theater, there's still a lot of pressure uh, to continue to work and and uh, and to not stop and to have a gig and to be doing something. And people have to work a lot. I think it's important. But you said about having hobbies and stuff. I think one of the themes that we've discovered on the podcast is that. We're trying to get to the bottom of what it takes to become a good artist and what do you need to have, what experiences do you have to have or what you know practices do you have to develop in order to have a voice or find your voice or find inspiration. And uh, it's important to do other things and to be interested. In, it doesn't matter what those things are um, because that allows you to have a different perspective on the world, to stop what you're doing, to experience the world in a different way, uh, to train your vision to see the world in a different way. And that's what gives you inspiration as a theater artist um, because we're ultimately reflecting the world around us, right? Um, in so many ways, theater is a statement on society uh, of the moment. And wh one of the things I discovered when I left theater was that it's a really insular place. You can think you're doing something really important and great, um, and you may well be, but in many cases like we don't hear the other voices outside of that. Um, you know, we go to a place I did, a, I did the Canadian pr premiere of the Laramie project, uh, in Toronto and back in the early two thousands, uh, late 1990s. And this was about, um, the Matthew Shepard, uh, murder out in Wyoming. And this is a company that came from New York and did a bunch of interviews out there, uh, and then created a story around that of verbatim theater, uh, telling the stories of the people surrounding Matthew Shepard's family, the friends, the community, the school, uh, and uh, and then they left. And uh, like, what happens after you tell that story? I think is just as important. And theater can be insular. We we may not have an idea of what's going on outside the world until we step out of it. And I think that's why you need to have other experiences and interact in the world in a different way to, to make sure you understand where you're seated in the world and and uh, uh, in, in order to shape your voice and to shape the story to actually resonate with people uh, and not just resonate with the company people that are producing that story. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important as an artist. Yeah. If you could if you could encourage an experience uh, for, for, for folks to have, what would, what 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 kind of jumps to your mind at the moment? Yeah, you know, I think it's important. <laughs> this is this has nothing to do with being about artistic practice. I think it's important for people to work in the world out of theater. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, find what like what is it like to have a job nine to five shift work whatever it is. Like that's an important experience to have. I find that um, working in paramedicine, uh, and I had done a whole bunch of different jobs before I became a paramedic. People who were, you know, 22, 23, just coming out of school, working in the profession, had a sense of uh, entitlement. Paramedics in Canada get paid well. That's a great job. It's a union job. You work for the municipality. There's a lot of security in it. And uh, you lack... A certain empathy for people who are not working in those positions, right? Who are working two or three part-time jobs in fast food or in the service industry that's very precarious. And we don't get a sense of the precarity and the stress involved in that. And I think one of the, like, if you can build, if you can build a practice that, 
that is empathic, that focuses on under, on being able to understand the other in a way that doesn't make them the other, that so you can understand their life. I think that makes you a better person and a better artist. And uh, I mean, a lot of theater training is about finding empathy. I think that actors do it like from day one. I don't think that technical theater and design does it enough about finding empathy with other people. And excuse me. I think that telling those stories requires a sense of empathy and requires a sense of understanding. And so if you can find a way of, of, uh, like you said, getting outside of your community, seeing how other communities work, um, you know, uh, tr holding, uh, holding um, maybe a job or having a volunteer experience where you are getting outside your comfort zone and, and, and starting to realize that the world is precarious and ambiguous, then that's going to inform your artistic practice more than studying the classics, more than studying art history. You know, all that stuff is important, but it tells you about what happened in the past. It doesn't tell you what's about and what's happening now. And theater is about the immediate uh, um, the immediate experience and you have to have a connection to your audience that goes beyond, um, you know, traditional, uh, in Canada, what we would consider kind of the British tradition of theater. It, it goes to understanding what they're experiencing and, and, and what their stories are and what their concerns are. So finding empathy, I think is the biggest thing is the most important thing you could do as an artist and as a, a as an artisan. Um, however that happens. Well, I, uh, I, uh, I, I know uh, we could probably go on for another hour, and I would love it because we haven't even touched into like science stuff. Because I love science, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, science nerd. Um, I know that uh, uh, I'm really grateful for your time. Uh, squeeze it in between because you have to go off to uh, some some sort of business uh, later today. Um, if uh, if people want to learn more about uh, your work. Or uh, and or find the podcast. Where where is the best way that they can uh, uh, find it? Yeah, so they can go to the thetitleblock.com is the website. Uh, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. We're on all those uh, those other kind of platforms. Any kind of podcatcher will will probably find uh, the Title Block podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Anxious Medic uh, on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at the Title Block. Um, CA on Twitter and we're also on Facebook if you do a search for the title block there uh, and that'll point you to all our episodes and uh, interesting conversations excellent alright Michael um, again I'm grateful thank you for squeezing me in on, on your very busy schedule uh, uh, it's, it's, I, hope to, I hope to run into you in person hopefully I can make it up for a, 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 some sort of, of, of event I don't know if you attend CITT I don't know if you're you in 2021. I know World Stage Design is going to be in Calgary, or as as I say from Chicago, Calgary. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Calgary, Alberta, Canada. But um, I, I I look forward to, to to seeing you in person, shaking your hand, and 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 getting to know you a little bit more. Well, thanks, Richard. It's been great having a conversation uh, with you today. I really appreciate it. Excellent. So. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher.
If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.